As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Sports professor Riccardo, welcome to Beyond the Scoreboard, the inside look at the $1 trillion business of sports, deal-making, law, marketing, administrative, whole bunch of stuff. If you want to see our 15 to watch Memorial Day week, the top 15 stories, plus five tech issues of the week, plus the five philanthropic, get NBC Washington. Go to NBCWashington.com, at Riccardo, HaroSports.com everywhere that content is and subscribe to us on apple podcast google play audio boom stitcher itunes wherever we've got it and the bottom line is it's a big week kicking off tennis and nhl nba finals whole host of things let's start with motorsports just came out of the indy 500 and we have some interesting perspective from a guest who not only influences track in the united states but also diversity in auto racing. But let's get to it. <clears throat> One of the things that's happened on the the NASCAR variety is the big sale of the assets of NASCAR and International Speedway Corp. $2 billion transfer, both inside the family, and at the end of the day, it will allow NASCAR broadly to realign as they seem to be losing sponsors and others. Watch that carefully. It's Coca-Cola 600 is an industry kind of trade meeting in Charlotte, not to mention really good racing. A little northwest of that in Indianapolis, a big day for uh, uh, for uh, uh, Menard Racing and others, and also 400,000 people still here in Indianapolis and the weather parted where thunderstorms might have existed, the crown jewel of American racing, had a steady decline in ratings since 2015, but not now with NBC. Many ads mastering the synergy with sporting events such as the Kentucky Derby and the NHL playoffs. The new partnership viewership is up 21% for the first four races. And under NBC's contract, eight IndyCar races broadcast this season five from last year, up from five last year on ABC. Indy started also to market to a younger demographic as the sport owns one of the oldest audiences across all major U.S. sports to date. It's been playing div- uh, paying dividends. GameBridge, a, a Group 1001 spinoff company, uh, sponsoring basically the month of May. Activation, driver Zach Veach, all is good. Another issue is how to bring more minorities into racing. There's no argument the United States is the world superpower in track and field, having won more Olympic medals than the next five nations combined. Max Siegel, the CEO of that dynasty in May of 2012, his background diverse and expansive, senior VP at Sony BMG, managed the careers of artists like Justin Timberlake and Usher. The president of global operations for Dale Earnhardt, Inc., 
and still had his hands in racing as the owner of Rev Racing, a development racing team in NASCAR uh, for minority and female drivers. And since becoming USA Track and Field's fourth CEO, he led the organization to unprecedented growth and success. Max Siegel, we caught up with him in Indianapolis to talk about racing, diversity, track, and otherwise. Max Siegel. Rick Haro, absolutely honored. Max Siegel, he's owned Rev Racing since 2009, part of NASCAR's Drive for Diversity, but he's also CEO of U.S. Track and Field since May of 2012. Seems like only yesterday. Max, thanks, first of all, for inviting me into your home here. Thank well, you. Well, thank you for having me. appreciate that very much. So, you know, you've done everything. We'll talk about Timberlake and Britney Spears and not to forget Notre Dame Law School, you know, pantheon of highest learning. And you also obviously drive for diversity to talk about that but 2012 new challenge may of 2012 you're thinking should i take this on ceo of track and field what were the considerations you jump at it well you know i've been around the olympic movement yeah. since the late 80s and uh, had an opportunity to serve on the usa swimming board foundation and then also uh, usa track and field and i i've always felt that the organization as a global brand the leader in the olympic movement had a lot of potential on the business side so when the opportunity uh, presented itself to take over and lead the organization. It, it's been really exciting ride so far. Let's keep that thread going for a minute. So, some controversy, not in track and field, but obviously change of governments, governance. We all know, knew Scott Blackman very well, and always a fight for funding. Has it emerged on the good side, the Olympic movement in the U.S. generally? Well, I think um, the Olympic platform obviously uh, is like no other. Um, the sponsors are being really cautious about their investments in the sport and with our federation we have uh, the most diversity in our athletes and we have a lot of assets and for us uh, we've been able to bring on 14 new partners and some some great uh, partners for long term well you're understating I mean you won 819 medals which is more than the next five nations combined you have a million five high school track and field runners across the country so you've done pretty well in a short period of time well, you know, in the last seven years, we've had a huge growth trajectory, and I think it's uh, because our sport uh, its from the cradle to the grave. I mean, we get involved at the grassroots level, and obviously on the Olympic level, our athletes are the number one track and field team in the world. And so it takes a little bit of money for a kid to pick up a golf club, and, of course, Tiger Woods is trying to minimize that barrier to entry, but anybody can run. So how does that distinction parlay into more and more youth in track and field? Well, we uh, like to say that we're the sport behind the sport, yeah. uh, that you have to run, jump, and throw to be great at any sport, and it's exciting to see the engagement with our young people. Uh, so we have a rich pipeline, and uh, w the future for our athletes on the elite level is really bright. And growing the sport from a youth level, very important part of your mandate, but also your heart. You didn't have the most stable upbringing yourself, so talk about that a bit. Yeah, sport uh, really saved my life. Uh, and I, I dug in in school and I dug in in sport just to have an excuse to not go home. And uh, it was through my coaches that invested in me that I realized the power of sport and how it can transform someone's self-image, give them the kind of confidence and really uh, the discipline to be successful. So, you know, I'll always be indebted to sport and uh, I see it as a tremendous way to impact culture. Well, you personally, so... 
you, you, you off and running, Notre Dame Law School, but then with Sony BMG, obviously a lot of athletes and a lot of entertainers, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Usher, for example. Similarities and differences, and did you think when you got into that that this was going to be sport-dominated, entertainment-dominated, or really did it make a difference? Well, I find that every athlete wants to be an entertainer, and every entertainer wants to be an athlete. Uh, I had the good fortune early in my career to represent a lot of Christian music artists uh, who introduced me to Reggie White and Tony Gwynn, who were my first two big clients. And I saw the synergy early in my career about how those two worlds uh, overlap. And I think if you go to the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl, you start to see more and more how it's evolved over the years. Uh, But sports is entertainment. And uh, it's really exciting to see people who excel at both, uh, at, at high levels in both industry. Sports and entertainment agency business and doing the right thing sometimes is a, is a contradiction. I mean, how, how, was, how easy was it for you to adhere to your principles getting into the business and succeed? For me, um, quite easy because my marquee clients exemplified and they lived the values of integrity and hard work and respect. And I learned so much from having clients like Reggie White and Tony Gwynn. Uh, and, they, and, and they obviously referred and helped me recruit players that were like-minded. So it is a highly competitive business uh, and you're known by the company that you keep. But having those two guys as the pillars of my practice uh, was really great. I know a lot of people in the industry that have gone over to the other side with various levels of success. It's a little analogous here. You had a practice. The USATF came calling, and you said, let me do that. What do you do with your practice, and would you ever go back? And, you know, that that issue. Well, uh, I had some great partners, and when I transitioned on the corporate side, uh, they took over the business. Uh, We've all since kind of transitioned to the corporate side. I think when you start to have a family, and uh, even though no day is the same and you want to have a more uh, predictable lifestyle, it's great. I think I find myself in a position to help more and Mm -hmm. really to mentor and educate younger professionals who are agents and athletes. So stay in the mix, um, but uh, I prefer the seat that I'm in right now. And the seat you have right now may give you a little more leverage to impact change. Talk about some of the most inspiring moments you've had over the last seven years. Uh, I can tell you that inspiring moments for me uh, run the gamut. When I look on the drive for diversity side with the drivers like Bubba Wallace or Daniel Suarez or Kyle Larson, uh, who all came through my race team, it's really inspiring. But then when you see the character of someone like Justin Gatlin that has fought through adversity and continues to handle himself with class and dignity and win on the highest level, that inspires me uh, and it motivates me to stick to my principles and to you know, just be true to myself. We'll get to track, we'll get to racing in a minute, but just on the track side, in terms of community outreach, um, what's on the horizon for USATF as an institution and what what are you most excited about? We uh, brought on the Hershey Company a few years Mm -hmm. ago with our Run Jump Throw program and we've had over 600,000 young people go through it, uh, teaching them the fundamentals of the sport but even more importantly introducing them to healthy lifestyles and a lot of self-confidence. Growing that program on a global basis is great. 
Uh, I'm pretty excited about some of the younger athletes that are now on our international teams that have come through the pipeline, whether it's Sydney McLaughlin or Noah Lyles. Uh, and, and again, to see the young people mature and grow up, and then also to watch athletes like Allison Felix or Wallace Spearman transition into the elder states people and mentoring the young the young athletes is really is really amazing. And, and just remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is somewhat equivalent to Dan Marino with Isotoner gloves on the beach. Uh, Hershey's is a chocolate company, and this man and others have sold them on a program of athlete fitness and health. Easy to do? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the reality is that they, uh, the, the partnership came about because Milton Hershey, uh-huh. who was an orphan, uh, was really committed to the happiness and emotional well-being of children. And so they had the Hershey track and field games, and when they talked about his legacy of creating fun and excitement and a great environment for people, uh, we were really kind of a natural partner for them. So it's interesting how it came in the door. It's a confection company, but they're really uh, committed to the sport. Confection company, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. A healthy confection company. There you go. It's a, there's, a, there's a salesman for you. Let, let, but, 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 but somebody's selling a real, real significant asset. Let's talk for a minute about uh, Rev Racing. Um, you've been an equity owner since 2009, and one of the numbers that really struck me is that uh, 40 crew members are currently on NASCAR teams. They may have more now, but... But how, how did how did you decide to make a difference, and how did you implement it? So I'll go back to Reggie again. So Reggie White, Eddie DeBarlow, Ronnie Lott, and I were looking many years ago, um, collaborating with Joe Gibbs and Rick Hendrick to get into the sport. Uh, we were forming uh, and ultimately purchased a, a NASCAR team, and Reggie passed away. So it was at that time when Reggie called me. I'm Max Siegel, a black guy with a Jewish name, and he told me there were a lot of opportunities in NASCAR, and I thought he was crazy. Uh, but the reality is uh, that there are. And so after spending two years as the president of Dale Hart Incorporated, mm-hmm. Brian France, the chairman, said, hey, listen, we want to look at the future of the sport. We want to diversify the athletes and the fan base. And um, my, uh, my director of human performance, uh, Coach Phil Horton, African-American legend, uh, has a strong history in the sport, we collaborated. So the pit crew program was the first training program that we created together 11 years ago. And uh, we've had 100% success in terms of placement of graduates from our program. So watching athletes who have peaked or uh, don't really realize there's an opportunity to continue their profession in the sport has been great. But 40 throughout the National Touring Series and when we go to a race and I see the change, it really is a lot that makes me really proud. And the unfortunate little secret is to have to overcome a presumption. Brian France, Lisa Kennedy, they're all really committed. I mean, Lisa, obviously, but everybody's committed to diversity. It's not as if you plug and play and say the right thing. You really do it. Yeah, they've been committed for the last 20 years, and I've been partners with them for um, 11. So their commitment is unwavering. Yeah. So... The, the other piece that I wanted to get to are commonalities. The USATF, obviously, uh, Rev Racing, your early days as an agent. What have you learned generally about the power of sports that can really change lives if harnessed properly? So um, what I'll talk about at competition, first of all, both sports are family sports. You see so many families that participate in the sport that attend as fans. But what was really interesting is um, I was the first African-American employee ever at Dale Earnhardt Incorporated going in as the president. We had 600 employees, and it was a company that had a 28-year history. 
and we bonded around sport. Uh, many of us couldn't be um, more far more different than we actually were, right. but passionate about the sport, making the cars go faster, taking care of your family, and it's through sport you realize that we have more in common than we do differences. And so, um, traveling on the global the global stage. Um, the one story I do tell when I first took this job, and I'll try to make it brief. No, it's I, I went to, uh, my first assignment was to accept the award from the International Athletic Federation uh, as a founding member uh, of the federation. So they said, you have to go to Monaco and you have to represent the United States. And I grew up, my parents didn't go to college. I'm from Indianapolis public schools. So I got on a plane landed in East France. They put me on a helicopter over to Monaco in a motorcade to the palace to beat Prince Albert and the president of IAAF to be a guest of honor. And all they talked about were the amazing athletes that we have and how around the world people want to be like the Federation and the athletes. And sitting at that table, being from Indianapolis, um, again with parents who didn't go to college, I realized what a unifying um, you know, how sports unifies people and how it really, really has an impact at culture uh, at the highest level and through all walks of life. A Greg Ballard question that you can answer even better, and Eli Lilly, you know, this has morphed from a dream to the amateur sports capital of the world. Uh, how, did it, how did it happen, but more important, how did it sustain? So I had the benefit of being a young associate with uh, Baker and Daniels, and I worked for Jack Swarbrick, and Work with Jeff Smullyan and Michael Browning and Jim Morris and Dave Frick, and uh, not a bad group yeah. of people, by the way. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and that group yeah. decided um, that we wanted to make Indianapolis the amateur sports capital of the world, and it was through all the effort, the sweat equity, and you know the sales pitches and attracting institutions here. And it's amazing how it has transformed Indianapolis into what it is. I think that uh, those thought leaders and, and, and leaders in this community have stayed committed, uh, and that translated into our community. We, I don't know that there's a city that is more embracing of national events. Um, and, and, you know, we make a commitment being here to stay connected to the community as well. Uh, and, and now we have leadership in Ryan Vaughn, who's the chairman at Indiana Sports yeah. Corp, and continuing to have a cast a, a really ambitious vision for Indianapolis. And the fact the NCAA headquarters and the stadium and the commitment of X number of Final Fours, men and women, and on and on and on. And so it's an economic engine, too. It's not just an anecdotal social. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, when we had the Super Bowl here, it was very obvious how uh, an event of that magnitude has an economic impact and can transform a community. So final question for you relative to the future. Uh, five years from now, Max Siegel, you're on the rise board, clearly, and there are so many issues that you haven't conquered yet. In fact, you're not a you're not an old guy, but you haven't really done anything yet. So what's next? <laughs> I'll tell you, the most exciting thing in my life at the very moment is watching my kids grow. My son's a football player at Notre Dame, mm -hmm. and watching him mature. My younger son, who's 17, is completely immersed in music. And then my daughter, who's a freshman in high school, is a great student, elite volleyball player. So it is actually it's great to see how sports and entertainment has. It's in their blood yeah. and how much they enjoy it. Uh, but really, that and I, I was telling a group of our athlete leaders, you know, um, I never thought I'd think about my legacy, but my legacy uh, is all about trying to raise, train, and uh, guide the next generation of leaders. Max Siegel does it very well. And the other 
little secret here, having hosted this show for almost two years. I don't know how you did it, but I'm much taller than you are. But you're, you're, you know, you, you, this like you're, it's like you're sitting on a phone book, ladies and gentlemen. It's, and it, it, it's probably the producer. It's the it's the Mike Tarico effect. Max Siegel, thank you very much. Thank really you. Appreciate, appreciate it. Coming out of Indy, Pacers uh, out of the playoffs fairly early. Big time sports town, but it hadn't impacted other aspects of the playoffs. The ratings have been down and. Frankly, the playoffs start on April 13 and won't end sometime until mid-June, roughly as long as Major League Baseball and National Football League's playoffs combined through the first two weeks of the postseason. The ratings down about 18%. Is it no LeBron? Is it no interest? Is it not big markets? Certainly the games have been exciting, but the NBA may need to start looking into reverting to the previous five-game format for the first round to help quell the expense, extensive playoffs or potentially give a buy round to the top-ranked team in each division. Tell you what, the best of five uh, gives an opportunity for somebody to sneak in that may not otherwise deserve the second round. So there are arguments clearly on both sides. NBA playoffs, though, help to display big tech and provide a glimpse into the future of sports in Seattle. Seattle getting an NHL franchise and high-tech in 2020, uh, high-tech arena in 2021. And GeekWire said tech executives from companies based in the Pacific Northwest have been attending private VIP events for potential season ticket holders. During Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals at Oracle, Google displayed its voice assistant to help turn down the lights, play music, and provide stats for the Warriors after the game. Nearly 20,000 fans walked away with a free Google Home Mini device. At a million, it was hailed as the largest and most valuable giveaway of a Google product at a live sporting event in history. Silicon Valley plays a big role in the Warriors' success, as players like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and others all noted the region's forward thinking as a partial reason they came to play with the team. They all have investments in a range of tech ventures. And looking at the success of the Warriors, the new NHL team in Seattle would provide an opportunity for the region's tech companies like Amazon and Microsoft to further plunge into sports. Well, of course, a big deal. The NBA, speaking of international growth, has been named the most popular sports league in China in a recent survey undertaken by Ampere Analysis. The English Premier League in UEFA ranked second and third. The others, FIFA, Olympic Games, La Liga, Serie A, the World Tennis Table Tennis Championship, UEFA European Championships, and the FIBA Basketball World Cup. Not surprisingly, Ampere conducted similar research in 20 markets, and China was the only one where table tennis appeared in the top five. We understand that, especially leading to the Olympics. How about baseball? Let's look at Mexico. It's a sleeper. The Padres and Diamondbacks have agreed to play a series in Mexico City in the summer of 2020. The Padres last played in Mexico in May of 18, three-game series against the Dodgers in Monterey. And the San Diego Union Tribune said the 2020 series in Mexico City expected to be played at El Estadio Alfredo Harpilu. This year's international calendar included two games in Monterey, the Cardinals and Reds in April, and Astros-Angels earlier in May. And in addition to Mexico, baseball played a a game in in Australia, also in Japan, Puerto Rico, ahead of next month's Yankees-Red Sox-London series. Marks the sport's first regular season contest in Europe. 
Next year, the Cubs and Cardinals, leading the Sun-Times' Rick Morrissey to wonder, why would Major League Baseball waste a perfectly good Cubs-Cardinals series on a country that cares for the game as much as it cares for the way we spell color, labor, and humor? Well, you could have made the same argument for the NFL, but more than a decade later, the league's London series has been nothing but growing. NFL, Major League Baseball, and other sports take note. Let's talk hockey. The NHL will air virtual reality highlights of the Stanley Cup. National Hockey League partnered with NextVR to offer fans free on-demand VR of the 19 Stanley Cup series. Fans will be able to access highlights by using NextVR app through a dedicated Stanley Cup final channel. Already, NextVR partnered with the NHL to bring VR highlights of the NHL All-Star Game and Stanley Cup playoffs this year. Now the goalie experience puts fans in a skates of a goalkeeper on the ice, allowing them to see and experience through the eyes of NHL stars during a game. And by offering more ways to experience an NHL game, the league will be able to attract more diverse array of fans, especially that coveted younger demographic. And with the Stanley Cup being here, the Blues winning the West, creating the first rematch in 49 years, the Stanley Cup final. Blues were one of the worst teams in the league as of January 3, an unprecedented turnaround. They've been 0-12 in previous finals appearances, but the last time these two teams met in the Stanley Cup, the Bruins swept that famous flying Bobby Orr iconic goal, one of the greatest hockey pictures of all time. But now, the Blues are the oldest active team to never have won a Stanley Cup, and in a year where the improbable has happened, for a last-place team entering 2019, a win against the Bruins could seal one of the greatest turnarounds of all time, and another great story this year after last year's Golden Knights. Well, let's finally go to tennis. French Open underway, Roland Garros got to some work done, and immediately after last year's tournament, Court Philippe Chatrier, one of tennis's most storied arenas, was stripped to its foundation, and over 80% of the existing center court was destroyed to rebuild the stands and create better fan and media experience. In 2019, Roland Garros is also expanding its footprint from 850 acres to 1250 and debuts a new set of courts, including a 5,000-seat greenhouse arena named Court Simon Mathieu after France's best female player in the 30s. 2020, a retractable roof will be put on Chatrier, leading to the night sessions at the French Open for the first time in 2021, a move expected to generate about 100,000 to 150,000 more ticket sales over the tournament fortnight. And in 2024, the site will host the tennis competition at the Summer Olympics. The need for a roof has not long been a factor in French Open's profitability and product consistency. The 2016 tournament, for example, was dubbed the Drench Open after days of play, and international broadcasting hours were lost to rain. Well, that's it for the show. We'd like to thank uh, Max Siegel for helping us talk about diversity and auto racing as well as track. We'd like to thank Tanner Simpkins and, and Reed Weber and, and uh, 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 Dan Martin for, for putting this together. And thank you for our Memorial Day week and weekend getting into some huge events. Join us always when we go Beyond the Scoreboard.